Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Man United had a huge chance to stake their claim for the WSL title this weekend. I am incredibly gutted and they came unstuck as Chelsea showed everyone the difference between WSL hopefuls and WSL contenders. Elsewhere, West Ham and Brighton played out a nine-goal thriller. It was absolute carnage. Uh, Leicester have a new manager and Jill Scott makes her jungle debut. Yes, Jill. Joining Rachel and I this week is the star of Girls on the Ball, it's esteemed football journalist and it says friend of the pod Sophie Downey but I feel like you two are more than friends um, I mean I don't <laughs> want to sort of, yeah I don't want to spread rumours or anything but I heard you guys are more than friends um, yeah it's, <laughs> I think we might be married yeah it's Rachel's <laughs> wife we actually got Rachel's wife on the pod um, yeah welcome Sophie welcome to the pod for the first time making your debut look at you two there together looking all cute and couple how's it going Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's good. I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking coupling. We're very professional. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Professional at all times. That's how we roll here on, on Upfront. Um, yeah, how is it sort of, you know, having to listen to Rachel at home and then also coming onto the pod and having to listen to her opinions here as well? It must be quite quite a lot. It's a lot. She talks a lot. <laughs> I'm joking. No. Mm. Um, no, no, that's factually accurate now. Yeah, that's true. That is, you do talk a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's great. I'm used to it by now. <laughs> you have to say on. that. Yeah, yeah, you have to say that. I mean, is yeah. she kind of pinching you under the table a little bit? So yeah. a little, little bit of sneaky kicks and things if like that. If you don't behave, we won't have you back. We'll take away your friend of the pod you title. You won't be having dinner tonight. So yeah. <laughs> So Only positive things. <laughs> uh, well, no, welcome to the pod. Absolutely lovely to, to have you on. Uh, I feel like it's been a long time coming. So, yeah, welcome to um, to Upfront and all the, the weirdness that's going to unfold in the next 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Uh, but you. first off, I mean, we've got to start with some big celebrity updates here. Jill Scott hitting the jungle. I mean, I don't know whether you guys have found the time in between watching all the football that's happened this week, although some of the games obviously were cancelled because of the bad weather. Um, um, I mean, it just provided so much entertainment. I mean, Jill Scott, in within two episodes now, has gone viral for falling off a hammock. Um, there wasn't that much swearing, which is good. I mean, it's sort of a, a little bit more low-key from the, the kind of Euros, fuck off, you fucking prick. Which um, Give her time. Uh, I mean, up. but it is the early days. It is very early days. Um, and then they had her on the middle of a ledge, 15 stories up, um, and then like launching herself off of a platform, which I thought was... Nothing short of heroic. I mean, what else would you expect from a former lioness? And not only being on the edge of the platform, but also helping Charlene and shouting words of encouragement at the same time. I mean, leadership qualities 101, Jill Scott. Um, yeah, have you, you guys caught it? I don't feel like I need to watch it, right? Because we don't, we don't normally watch it. But what's great about um, women's football is obviously our timeline is just going to be full of lovely little clips of Jill. So I don't actually need to watch it. I can just like go on any of my social media and it is filled with uh, clips of the uh, great Jill Scott. What I love about it is just means more people are going to see what we've had to enjoy for the last, you know, so many years. It's great. It's like, welcome. This is Jill. She's amazing. <laughs> enjoy. actually who she is. This is uh, everything you need to know about her. Yeah. So if you caught it. 
Uh, no, I saw the falling out of the hammock one, and I saw the mashup between the falling out of the hammock with the F, uh, fuck you, you fucking prick um, <laughs> clip from the Euros, and they mashed it together like she was turning around to swear at the hammock. Um, that is yeah, gold. I mean, she, she's brilliant, isn't she? She's just the best. But I also just feel so sorry for her. I mean, she's, um, you know, she's gone in there, obviously off the back of the Euros, a, a champion, a European champion, fallen from grace, stuck on the middle of a platform 15 floors up, eating kangaroo arse. Um, yeah, I feel like it's uh, it's not the way that you should be treating a, a national icon and hero, but she chose that life. She chose that life. So She's going to smash it. Yeah. I can't wait for next week's update. She's going to be queen of the jungle for sure. I mean, putting our state pole flag in the sand. That's it. Yes. She's going to win. For once, yeah. we can join together with our flagpole in the stake sand. Yeah. We're agreeing. Gosh, yeah. it must be nearly Christmas because that's a bloody miracle. <laughs> um, right. I think it's probably time that we got onto some football, I reckon. Shall we? Since that's probably why people are listening. Um, yeah, I mean, the big one. We've got a start. Man United, Chelsea. Chelsea walking away with the points. 3-1. What a game. Um, I was expecting that this was going to be a little bit more finely balanced. And I think it was. I think the first half, I mean, the possession stats kind of say it all. Very equal. Um, I thought Man United did well, playing out from the back. Uh, Chelsea starting with the sort of the high press. Um, I mean, so if you, you caught the game, how did you find it? Um, I thought, yeah, I think that's right. I think it was um, much closer in that first half. Um, I think they let it get away from them. I think it was two goals in like two minutes or something in that second half, and they just kind of let it get away from them. Um, and there was the whole thing with Hannah Blundell being injured as well when the first goal went in. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting one. I still think there is a gap. Um, I'm not entirely sure about Mark Skinner's tactics or substitutions. I didn't really understand why you brought Alessia Russo off having just scored a goal, being your main goal scorer. That didn't really... Yeah, compute with me. Um, but yeah, I think they're closer, but there's still a gap there. I think they're, um, yeah, it's, it's showing that they've made progress. Yeah, I thought for me, <clears throat> I felt like the first half was a little bit cagey. Like both sides were kind of testing each other out. They knew, despite, you know, their pre-match comments about it just being another game. It obviously wasn't just another game. Like this was the one fixture everyone was really looking forward to this weekend. And for me, I felt like the first half was maybe just a little bit flat. I think a little bit cagey. Um Yes, Chelsea were pressing Man United, but I felt like their press was quite static. You know, they were kind of standing in the spaces, but not hugely pressuring the ball, if you know what I mean. Um, but Man United, as I said, did really well kind of to to play out of that. I think both sides had decent chances in the first half. One decent chance where a keeper had to pull off a, a top save. There was a great save by Berger, a real like reaction save quite early on from um, Nikita Paris, I think it was. Um so yeah, a bit, bit of a cagey first half and quite a physical game. Um, but I think second half, the difference for me is is Chelsea's decision-making in those moments of like unexpected ball possession or, or when Man United make mistakes. And I think that's the kind of the showings of a champion is that when you're not playing your best football, I don't think Chelsea have reached their best yet, but the fact that they can still go out and win big games like this even if they're not playing the best football, that's where the difference is for me. You know, they can capitalise on mistakes so much more maybe than Man United did. Now, Man United's goal was from a Chelsea mistake, but that for me is Alessia Russo and Alatoon really showing the ruthlessness that they've learned from the Lionesses for me. Um, but I think that's maybe where the difference is, is that mentality of you find yourself suddenly in possession, you, you break down a, a play, you're kind of in an unexpected situation and you know what to do straight away to, to capitalise on that. And Chelsea did really well with that. I think that's a really important point. Mark Skinner, I think, said pre-game about all of these experiences that his United team are banking, you know, as they progress and, and try and get this experience. And that's another one that Chelsea have had for so many years, you know, even when they might not be at full throttle or whatever, they find a way to win a game. United haven't quite had that yet. And if you think back to last year when they lost, I think it was 6-1 or something. Yeah. Six, to um, Chelsea that shows progress from then to now the fact that they were in that game for a good period of it um, but I think it's still about building those blocks and learning those experiences as we go on because they're still quite relatively young side um, in, t in terms of their experience within the league so yeah um, I, th I think that showed heaps yeah 
No, I've got to agree with that. I mean, you know, Farrah Williams said the difference between the sides was Chelsea's ability to think clinically and ruthlessly uh, in the game's big moments. And, you know, I did feel that actually that was where United kind of fell short. I think they, I think tactically, I think they got it probably spot on in the first half. I think they were confident in possession. I think they continued to keep playing out from the back, even though it obviously was the, the riskier strategy. And I think that built confidence in themselves that they could do that. They were finding ways out and being quite creative. Uh, again, using Earps as well, I thought she did really well. Uh, in the first half as well and you know you could see how, how much the possession kind of changed in the second half I think it went down to about 33% to, to Man United and you know you've got to say that I mean Mark Skinner kind of you know he was he was very honest he said you know we felt we were outdone by lapses in concentration and, and that's what it kind of came down to and I think you know even from the commentary when I was you know listening on the on the game you could see how the game kind of felt like in the last 20 to 30 minutes it was coming down to who was going to make less mistakes because even Chelsea were making mistakes and that wasn't something that I was expecting to happen. I thought Man United would have lapses in concentration but Chelsea also showed that they were vulnerable to that as well. Yeah, there were a couple of times where Man United got in behind Chelsea and, and there were some hairy moments in the, in the defence between you know Buchanan and Bright and... Um, that's where I. That's what I'm talking about in terms of those instances where you capitalise on those errors and and they just wasn't. They weren't quite sharp enough in those moments to do that. And I think that was literally the difference. Um, because there were opportunities for Man United to capitalise. And and like you say, it's just, it's you know, rinse and repeat. Get that in your head so you know what to do next time. Um, and and they, it shows that Chelsea can be vulnerable. So, um, I think there are positives. For me, from the Man United performance, I think you're right in terms of tactics in the second half. Maybe weren't quite there. Um, but just another example of what great champions Chelsea are for me. Yeah, I think it's learning for Mark Skinner too as well. You know, he made that change for Alessi Russo, which I disagree with. But also when Hannah Blundell had to come off, um, he made Leah Goulson the left back, I think, which, you know, nullified her threat going forward. Um, she she can do that position, but it's not her natural position. And we all know her goal scoring um, ability um, so it was just a bit questionable about what he did in that area I think and he'll learn from it I'm sure <laughs> Mark Skinner uh, start listening to up front because we've got some tactical analysis and suggestions for <laughs> oh, you oh no we've talked about this before don't do that <laughs> don't listen to us uh, log off now um, yeah I think um, you know I, I was obviously disappointed I thought that this was going to be a little bit more evenly matched um, and obviously I've been a massive fan of United kind of maybe securing the title at some point this year but it now looks a little bit like there's still a little bit of a way to go um, which I think is is fair I mean when you look at the kind of progress of Man United and where they come from from the championship and now you know like you were saying there sort of you know losing six uh, to Chelsea last time they played and now you know coming into a situation where it was a very evenly matched for like large portions of the game and them having their own chances themselves so um, yeah I think this is progress I think this is positive overall to, to take away for it from that game so to be honest I still think they're in with a chance you just don't know what's gonna happen do you Listen, technically we got it right. One of us in the studio said uh, that Chelsea were going to win it. So, you know. Who was that? Always right for the results. Probably Jesse. Yeah, it was a Chelsea fan. It, was, it wasn't us too. It wasn't us too. I don't think we've got a prediction right all season. So, uh, no, I think we just got to touch on briefly. I mean, Lauren James, another outstanding performance. I think she was such a great attacking threat on the wing, uh, causing all kinds of problems, whipping in balls. Um, I think obviously, Rachel, you mentioned before that, you know, is she going to deliver the end product? And I feel like, She's showing consistency here. I think she's obviously, um, you know, found her feet again, coming back from the injury. And I feel like actually she's going to be making the starting 11 a lot and causing some serious damage to teams. I mean, she's such a big threat. What I thought was really interesting was Man United weren't great at dealing with her. And you would think of all teams to maybe have figured out how to deal with her in some way would be Man United, given she she's played there, played with them for, for quite a while. So that was really interesting because she was still able to dance her way um, around the defenders. Uh, and yeah, she was, she just causes that panic, doesn't she, in defenders? Because they just don't really, it reminds me of when Megan Campbell has a throw-in. Like suddenly defenders are like, like, what do I do? And <laughs> you, you, Which always surprises me. So with her, when she comes at you, it's like, you don't know if she's going to be direct. You don't know if she's going to go left, go right, pass the ball. And she disguises that really, really well. Um, so yeah, the, it's it's the panic she instills in players, in defenders. Yeah, and I, I just love the character that she's showing, you know. She now looks right at home there, Chelsea side. Her little celebration with Sam Kerr, the basketball, you know. The badge tap in front the, of the, yeah, the badge tap. The United fans. She's just showing oodles of character and also enjoyment for playing out there. 
And I mean, I just love to see that. Um, and now, as Rachel said, you getting that end product at the end of it um, is, is, yeah, it's great to see. But I, I just love that the whole round, all of the roundness to her game is coming to the to view. Massively. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's difficult when you play against a former team. Well, you'd think it would be difficult, but to Lauren James, I don't think it could have been any team at that point. I don't think she gave two hoots about the fact that she was playing against her former squad, uh, which was lovely to see. I think, um, again, another uh, massive performance as well. I've got a shout out to, to Wrighton because, I mean, she's just been absolutely killer. I mean, and also I think kind of humbly didn't go down for what I thought was going to be a penalty. I think she kind of, it looked like she'd slipped the way that she'd gone down, but she was actually taken out by Myla Tizia. I think she was very lucky then not to get the pen. But I think had Wrighton kicked off about it and caused a bit more of a fuss, I think they probably would have had that. Yeah, I, I think that was a pen. But I think she, in the moment, she felt like she could get back up and get the ball. And that just says a lot about her that she was like, whether it's a pen or not, I could get the ball here and I could get the chance. So it was almost like she was just distracted trying to get back up to her feet because it was like a, a bit of a slip and then she got knocked over and then she slipped again and it was like, you know, eventually ended up in a heap on the floor. But she's unbelievable this season. She has more crosses in her game than a church. Like, honest to God, like they're crossing constantly. They're so pinpoint as well. I, I was watching her, I think it was against Vlasnia. I think she had something like four assists or something ridiculous like that. Like It was hard not to get an assist against Vlasnia, to be fair. Well, fair, but she managed <laughs> to bag most of them. So, um, And and in, in games, in the bigger games, she's still putting in performances like that. So another kind of underrated player. I'd, uh, there's, there's a lot of underrated players, and I understand that. We talk a lot about your goal scores and stuff, and you're looking at Chelsea with so many big names but yeah she's been excellent and the rocket that she fired off in the second half that cracked against the post I was like you could tell by that point she just wanted a goal she was like I'm sick of assists actually it's too much I'm going to be the main player for once um, yeah. but yeah it didn't quite work out but still yeah such a such a great presence um, yeah I mean Man United play Arsenal next after the international break so another massive test for them um, yeah probably not ideal timing trying to pick yourself up after you know the first defeat of the season but I mean they've had a sort of fairly good-ish, not easy run by any stretch of the imagination, but a nice mid-table run. So this is their chance to kind of prove themselves in amongst the big boys. Um, so yeah, we'll see how they, they fare with that. One of the benefits for them was was the run of games they had. And we talked about this in previous episodes to kind of allow them to build momentum and confidence. And yes, it'll be frustrating that they lost to Chelsea, but I do think there are positives they can take out of it. And I think they can definitely learn from that. And if if they can implement those learnings in the Arsenal game, you know, I mean, we'll build it up again, but that could be a cracker as well. It's at the Emirates. I think they said they've sold 30,000 tickets already. Like, you know, that kind of atmosphere. It's, it's just, let's see how they rise to the occasion. And I hope they do because it could be, yeah, another kind of potential decider, if you like, in terms of, of where they finish in the table. I did kind of look at these two games and go, this could be really decisive for their season. You know, it's sandwiched, sandwiched by an international break. Um, if they got the win yesterday or on Sunday, um, that could have been a real blow if they'd had the international break now to kill their momentum. Maybe with the loss now, you know, maybe it's, it's a good time for them to have the international break. Who knows? But um, I think these two games are such a such a key point of the season, right back to back. Well, yeah, with the international break in the middle. But you know, um, it's not going to be easy coming back as well. It's what three days after all of the international players come back. Um, so it's a quick turnaround. So it's going to show all of your skill set if you can try and you know, make the fight and you, you take it to Arsenal, who are in flying form. They are, but Arsenal have got a couple of injuries at the moment. So, you know, this could be the perfect time to play them. So, you know, another fireworks game, hopefully. Well, I mean, Arsenal are pretty much on flying form at the moment. A continuation of their record-breaking streak, 14 league wins in a row. They're feeling pretty Billy Big Bulls, and rightly so. I mean, another massive win over Leicester, which I think no one... No one was surprised, were they? No one was surprised with a 4-0 win at Leicester. I think um, Leicester, who have yet to pick up any points in any of their games uh, since starting the season. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, you know, I was watching the game and it was barrage after barrage after barrage of Arsenal attack. And I, Leicester were just struggling to get a foothold in the game. And I think from, you know, the first couple of minutes where Arsenal had two great um, attempts within, I think it was like two or three minutes, wasn't it? Um I think we all just knew that the game was only going to go one way. I mean, you guys watched it. What, what did you think? What were your thoughts? I agree. I think, I mean, the conditions were bloody horrendous. Um, first of all, it was like raining sideways for so much of the match. Some of the photos coming out of that match looked amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, 
Uh, yeah, it's as we expected, right? And we we did maybe wonder would there be a bit of a new manager bounce now that Lydia Bedford's gone and Willie Kirk has taken over. Um, not a lot of of time for that changeover necessarily either, and, and what a a match for him to come in come in on. Um, but no, I think I think we expected it. And Arsenal, as I said, have a number of injuries. Um, you know, Kim Little's now out. Uh, after the West Ham game, she picked up a, a knee injury that looks like she could be out for a little while. You know, they're obviously missing um, Rafa Souza, Leah Williamson. They've given Viv Miedema a break. Looks like Lena Hurtig picked up an injury during that game as well. So the fact that they can go out and, and play like that and, and win like that, despite injuries to key players, is a, a really good sign. For me, I still think Arsenal have another gear. Um, maybe we've seen it in some of the other games where for me, I don't feel like they've quite reached their heights. Um, but this will be good for them, good for their confidence, particularly going into the break uh, and knowing what's waiting for them on the other side of that international break. I think we're just seeing with Arsenal this season that strength and depth that, you know, when these injuries happened, you know, last year, we thought, oh, that's the end of their season. Whereas, um, or they're going to be struggle to keep up with Chelsea. Whereas this season, they just keep bringing in new players and someone like Freedom Arnhem, you know, has risen to the occasion even the back line, Steph Catley and Lotte Wubemoy, you know, that centre-back pairing, you wouldn't have naturally put them together, I don't think. Um, but they've also, they've had a good run of games where they, they've risen to the occasion as well. Yes, there's been a couple of errors here and there, but they've managed to iron them out and get the, get the win in the end. So um, I think it shows a massive progression from Arsenal in, in that sense, um, that, you know, one big injury, two big injuries doesn't create chaos around their season and you, you don't really see a way back for them um, which I think is is pretty interesting because if we think about this time last season it was kind of early mid-November when the wheels started to slightly come off for Arsenal after such a great start Lee Williamson got injured they drew with Spurs and they had a couple of losses in the Champions League uh, and in the FA Cup final and it, it kind of everyone kind of pinpointed that moment. I mean, a lot of people said it was the loss to Birmingham last season. But for me, it was that moment where things started to get shaky. And we didn't maybe think that Arsenal had the depth to pull themselves out of that. Now, I think the fact that they beat Leon in the Champions League has given them massive confidence when it comes to maybe the trickier games. So I think as well, apart from the strength and depth, their, their heads are in a different place now. Um, and I, that's, I know I keep banging on about it, but that's where the real test is with Man United is to see how they manage in that situation versus how maybe they would have managed that situation last season. No, I, I mean, guys, I've got to agree with you there. I mean, the, the depth of the squad is is incredible. I mean, you know, I was looking at some of the stats. There are 10 different goal scorers in the opening six games, which in, in itself is unreal. Um, I mean, pretty much anyone from the goalkeeper can probably <laughs> have a chance at this point. Um, but I mean, we've got to touch on the fact that, you know, Vivian being away, being given a leave of absence to rest and recharge. Uh, we've not really, I've not really seen too much information about whether there's any kind of deeper things going on here. But in the absence of Viv, I mean, last season you would be looking at, you know, people thinking, oh, this is a, this is a, a definitely a weakened squad. But this year, I mean, Marnham, I mean, how the hell Viv's going to get her shirt back? I do not know because Marnham is absolutely in for the kill. Every single game that she started now, she's scored, been on the score sheet and also uh, a lot of chance creation from her. Um, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think this is going to be a permanent fixture? Have you heard any, so, anything more about Viv and the sort of rest and recharge period? I think it's great that she's been given a chance to rest. I think more teams should do that if they can. And I think we'll see more teams doing that if they can, especially teams that are competing in multiple competitions like a Champions League and teams that have such depth. Um, in the next couple of years, we're going to have you know more competitions, more major tournaments, a new um, Nations League, um, so more football. And we've got back-to-back-to-back tournaments um if team gb make the olympics um that's just it's going to be four or five summers with major tournaments um and these players need a break uh so for me it's brilliant that she's been given a break um and i'd like to see more of that with players if they can um i don't see it as as big a deal as maybe others do i don't think you know that Manum means that she doesn't get her shirt back. I think you've got versatility with Miedema. She can play a nine or a 10. Um, and I think that's another option for Arsenal if they need it, especially if, if Hertig's injured. Um, so I'm not too concerned about that. I think it's great. I think there's depth. That's what we want. And it's, um, you know, looking after player welfare. And Jonas talks a lot about player welfare. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not too worried about it. Oh, I think someone like Viv has been in that as in the Netherlands side since she was so young as well. She's literally been on this cycle of football forever. 
Um, so I think the and especially in the last few years since COVID, where it's put back to back tournaments. Um, you know, she went to the Olympics. She was at the Euros. Obviously, got hit by COVID there, but like it's still football, football, football. So I think for someone who at times did carry the Arsenal team in future in previous seasons. Um, you know, playing when she wasn't at her her best because she wasn't fit because she she'd pick up a niggle here and there, but they they needed her in the squad so much that she had to play. Whereas now they have the luxury of if she has a niggle or if she, you know, I do think COVID probably hit her quite hard in the summer. I um we haven't seen her at her best since that point. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's a luxury for Arsenal to have to be able to go to her and say. You know, you can take some time. It's 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 a good. You, I mean, you're going to World Cup next year. It's going to be non-stop. So take the time you need for a couple of weeks where you can just to have that break. And I think it's great that Arsenal have fostered an environment where a player can feel they can ask for that. Um, and Miedema isn't the only Dutch player not to have been called up to this camp. So it's great to see. There's obviously really good communication between national team manager and um, uh, domestic team manager. Um, that he's given a couple of players a rest, recognises that, you know, I think even we see it in the England squad, I think a couple of players, you know, have picked up niggles. They're probably not that big of an injury. They've come to camp with something, a niggle, and and they've looked and said, you know what, it's not worth the risk. There's no need for you to necessarily risk yourself. We've got depth. Um, have a break. And I think, yeah, amen, more of that. Well, I mean, clearly she wasn't missed. It was a pretty <laughs> emphatic win over Leicester. Um, but again, you know, we said there it, it, it wasn't really that unexpected. I mean, Leicester haven't been, they've not really started, have they? They've not really started their season. Uh, now being managed by Willie Kirk, I think he was bloody brave to take over uh, what was essentially the Titanic of um, of WSL teams. Uh, they're now only three points uh, off of Redden Redden. So, I mean, the board was saying, regrettably, concluded that a change in direction is necessary, brought in Willie Kirk. He has got a big job on his hands. Some would say it's utter madness that he would even embark on such a challenge at this point in the season, given their run of games. But, I mean, what do you feel that these guys, what what can Leicester do to kind of prevent relegation? Because the way it's going, it, it does seem like a pretty done deal already I know it's early I know that's a really bold statement to make this early in the season but for me I think you know Willie Kirk was saying you know their fitness levels weren't that great they failed to compete fitness wise Um, they did defend fairly well on occasion to try and keep the margin fairly small for just 4-0 because I think it could have been a lot higher and a lot more embarrassing Uh, they did register three shots on target so that's a positive. Let's take that away from the game, shall we? Um, but I mean, they've picked up one point, I think, in out of 42 in the WSL game. So what have this squad got to do? Because apart from praying, I am struggling to see how they're going to save themselves. I think Leicester need to use the winter window, if they can, to bring in some, some bodies. Um, just some options. Um, I think you're like... Their performances actually haven't been, despite all of the defeats, all that bad. Like, they haven't been truly, like, massively thumped, um, you know, this season. Their, their performances are there, um, but they just haven't got the end product on the end of it. And I do think um, Jonas was actually really good on, on Lydia Bedford. And he was like, when I was doing the prep for this game, when I was prepping for her to be in charge, you know, I'd seen improvement in their performance and... Um, I think that, that credit should go to Lydia. So it was a really nice little shout out from him for, for um, I mean, Lydia's a really young coach as well. You know, it was her first job in, in domestic football, um, having been with the international um, setup before that, the youth setup. So um, it was definitely like throwing herself into the fire. I think actually for me, Willie Kirk, the pressure is kind of off a bit because you know, he's come into... We, we all know where they're at. They're bottom of the table. They're struggling for wins. They're struggling for goals. Um, he can just come in and try and steady the ship. And if it works, then he's their saviour. And if it doesn't, well, he, he doesn't have to take the, the blame so much, I think. So um, it actually takes the pressure off a bit. You said there that he touched on they couldn't compete with fitness. I think focusing on areas that you can fix in a season, you're not going to get your team up to the fitness of Arsenal before the end of the season, right? Like, obviously, you're going to keep working on your fitness, but that's not something you're not suddenly going to be able to match that in a couple of weeks. So for me, it's kind of looking at the areas that you can 
make difficult for other teams. And, and Jonas did say that they were a difficult team to prep for because they're difficult to break down. And, you know, that's an area they need to look at. Teams don't score goals, they're not going to beat you. So it's one thing not necessarily scoring on the other end. They do need to create more chances. But I guess it's just building on what they are good at um, and maybe not focusing too much on, on things that are not necessarily going to change in a couple of months. All right, well... Willie Kirk, you've heard it here first. These are your action points. Um, we've oh, set God you some... love the managers of WSL and they start using us <laughs> as their, their reference. We've set you some objectives, some smart targets. Um, <laughs> let's see if you can reach them um, and also increase your budget enough to bring in some superstar international players over the, uh, over the Listen, winter break. Listen, Leicester have budget. It's just about where they spend it. All right, new players or we will see you in the championship. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. All right, West Ham, Brighton. I mean, I just, uh, I just didn't even know where to look. It was like an, it was one of those games that was just so overstimulating. I was just like, where is the next goal going to cut? Is a dog going to run? Is a dog going to run on and score a goal? Is there going to be a streaker? Is there? It was just like a carnival game. Um, Brighton picked up the points. It was 5-4, nine goals of craziness. Uh, I mean, West Ham uh, took the lead, last only five minutes. Uh, Daniel Carter pounced on a really, really bad error from Sophie Hilliard um, yeah that's a goalkeeper's nightmare it, I mean she had a bit of time she had a bit of time to play that pass overthought it thought she was going to be smart try and take it out the other side got completely killed and I think it, it did rattle her uh, for the next uh, big portion of the game so it does happen keepers you know we've all been there it's it's carnage it's, it, it, it's not great but yeah I Listen, mean, she'll be quicker next time she'll have to be I mean, that's the only way is to get quicker. Um, yeah, so if you were there, what did you think? Like, see, being there pitch side, I mean, your mouth just must have been open the entire time. Like, what is going to happen next? Yeah, I think it was a massive surprise because I think when um, West Ham went up in two minutes, I was like, oh, well, oops, Brighton, this is going to be tough because, you know, once West Ham get into gear, especially in that first half, they can run away with games um, and they've scored that early so often and we've seen them just run on to win the game. Um, but yeah, they managed to crawl themselves back. It was absolute chaos. It was the WSL at its chaotic best, I think. Um, I was doing post-match and I'd written out my questions on 80 minutes. And at then um, West Ham scored one and then they scored another. I was like, I'm going to have to rewrite all of these. Um, yeah, absolute carnage. The weather beforehand was, you know, apocalyptic. It was literally raining sideways across the pitch as they were doing the warm-up. And then the sky there, like, the sky's cleared. And then the football just took over the madness from the weather. So, um yeah, I don't really know. It was just, I think West Ham got complacent when they when they took the lead. They took their eye off the ball. Um, literally. Literally, <laughs> eye off the ball. But I also think what Amy Merricks did, she brought in Danielle Carter um, and she dropped Lee back into the midfield. Lee was having great fun out there. She was showing all of her tricks and flicks and it's not maybe a position that we necessarily have seen her in 
many times, but she added a bit more defensive cover, uh, whereas Danielle Carter then added the directness to the attack, and she was just on the counter every time. She was just that experience that she has and the pace that she has going forward. Um, she was making such a big impact, and she got her two goals as well. Um, got an assist, I think, as well. Um, so I think that was a massive um, call from Amy Merrickson for her get first game in charge. Neither team seemed to want to defend, first of all, which just, you know, it was like both teams were like, fuck it, we'll throw a caution to the wind. If we score more goals, we'll win. Um, that's the new ba- manager bounce we were expecting from Leicester, maybe. Brighton showed us the new manager bounce. I was at Reading Man City and I was just getting these texts through being like, oh, we've had a goal already. And then it was like 3-1 now. I was like, oh my God, and it's 5-2. I was like, what the fuck? And then like my game ended and I get a 5-4 and I was like, what? I've clearly gone to the wrong game. This is insane. Someone actually tweeted saying, I want to know what insider knowledge girls in the ball had to know to cover this match of all the matches this weekend. It was a question, like, my other question is around Sophie Hilliard. There wasn't a spare goalkeeper on the bench mm. and she did get knocked for six, I think just before uh, Brighton's fourth goal, I think, and then the subsequent corner when, you know, got scored. And I think if they had had a keeper on the bench that she would have come off because she was down for a good few minutes and it looked like a head head knock. And I, I just question whether she should have been on the pitch I don't know um but her confidence was by that point anyway quite shot I think um who do you think would have stepped in as the goalkeeper ooh, had, had she come Dagny. off do you reckon yeah, <laughs> go for height <laughs> no Longhurst Dagny's gonna score your goals it was that kind of game though I mean at that point you could have expected anyone could have gone on like Daniel Carter could have changed sides and gone on in guard it just it just was a kind of like a rush goalie type situation um but yeah I mean the last five minutes were pure madness um I mean Asayi smashing home two goals within two minutes I thought oh my god this is that West Ham are going to salvage a point out of this this is going to be absolutely mental and, and I think they had the chance 100% it was god, like okay. my god inches close open goal basically it was yeah I mean she's going to be thinking about that for a fair few weeks um I mean yeah it was um it was just beautiful to watch you just didn't know what was going to happen and I think that was just the beauty of, of that game uh, and we do have them in the WSL every now and again those kind of magical weird crazy unicorn games um but important for Brighton picking up the win who now move six points clear of the relegation zone so a bit of a breather for them I mean a win for West Ham could have propelled them into fifth given the sort of standings in the in the table and how close things are at the moment so yeah it was a big game for both but Brighton walking away the ultimate winners also shout out for Dagny Brynjör's daughter I think she's having a brilliant season I think it's it took her a couple of seasons to find her feet and to really impact games and bloody hell she's doing that now she seems to score nearly every game um for West Ham and she's captain as well so I think yeah, she's having a great season, which is good to see. I know they didn't win, but she did score at the weekend, didn't she? So uh, again. It was given to Victoria Williams no. in the end, an own goal. But she did cause Dickens. it. She ran into the, the area. So. Yeah. I'm giving it to Dagny. Yeah, 100%. We'll talk that up as a Dagny. Um, I mean, another crazy set of complicated things coming up. I mean, it, it feels quite right, actually, to go from the West Ham-Brighton game of carnage uh, into the complicated international tournaments. The UEFA Nations League is coming to women's football. And if you thought the European qualifications was difficult, then you're in, you're in, you're in for a treat. You're in for a real treat here. And we've got an expert in Soph who's going to explain everything, every tiny little oh bit God. of detail no about the league. We just thought we'd throw you in the deep end, being the guest and also wife of, of our, our host. So um, just to Thank kind of you. give you a little bit of context, it starts in autumn 2023. Teams will be ranked and placed into leagues based on their UEFA coefficient before playing a mini league over international breaks the league winners will go on to knockout stages through to an eventual final but they will also inform uh the seeding uh for the next european championships so i mean soph if you want to help on picking all of that apart then you can not to completely throw to the wolves here um but yeah do you think it's a good idea first off do you think it's um a good implementation of, of UEFA they want to increase the investment they felt that this was a, a way to do that a way to sort of get more eyes on the game what, what are your thoughts on it I think for me the jury stood out I do still worry about the amount of games mm-hmm. um, that are being played um, and I was my always concern when I first heard about this concept being um, the idea of being put into the women's game was where are you going to put it um, but actually for me yes they're going to play more football but I like the way that they've 
you know, split it up so that you have sort of your Nations League as your maybe pre-qualifying, qualifying to set the qualifying for the major tournament. Say that um, again? Rather than run... <laughs> this is why I said she was explaining it to me and I was like, no, sorry. Go on, go okay, again. So, so essentially the Nations League will happen in the autumn, as you said. It's three leagues. Um, league A and B have four groups of four. Group C has... Uh, league C has four groups of four and one group of three. Um, so in each uh, group, you play each other once home and away. So you've got six matches. Um, in League A, the winners of League A will then go on to, to um, the semi-finals, and then you'll have a third place playoff or a final. So you can you can go to that stage and try and win it, um, and then you move into the next phase, which is qualifying. And basically, it's the same concept. You have the three leagues um, of of the same amount of groups. You have the positions, and then in League A, the top two winners go directly into the Euros in 2025, plus the hosts. And then, then it gets complicated. Because then, then, then it gets complicated. That's the, this is the well, easy that's bit. the point, it, right. This is the really interesting bit, because then you go into the playoffs for the, the remaining places for the Euro 2025. And in League C, you still have a chance to get through those playoffs. So the bottom two of League A in each group will play the top two in League C in each group. Um, for a position and that has the chance to go to the second round of playoffs where you then play League B. We'll get her in next year or whenever this is happening to explain it again. So actually League C have a chance to get through the playoffs. So that doesn't take take away, nullify their opportunities. So it gives them an opportunity. Um, but it's actually a real like, innovative concept of qualifying, which I'm quite intrigued by. So basically you have a Nations League, which happens in the autumn internationals and will determine your qualifying groups effectively for the Euros. So they're not really called Euro qualifiers in the, the following year when you do your international breaks. They're still under the, the Nations League name, but they are effectively qualifiers for the Euros. Right. I, you lost me at UEFA. So <laughs> if anyone is still listening and is still following this, and also can I just give a massive shout out to Sophie who just explained all of that without referring to a single written note <laughs> or website page. That was just off the top of her head, which is like incredible. Um, I mean, for you guys, I mean, because I, I didn't even know this was being considered by UEFA. I mean, do you think this is going to be a sort of uh, a, a benefit to kind of some of the smaller teams? They get reg- regular competitive games. They're not going to be thrashed in the kind of big 20 nilers that we sometimes see. It causes a bit of embarrassment. They're not the games that we really feel that the women's get that promote the women's game in the right way. Um, yeah. What, what do you see as sort of the, the big benefits of this? So... I'd agree with the concern over the number of games. Um, I do think that's that's something that's maybe slightly concerning given we've got so many major tournaments back to back. I want to see it in action because I've not always been hugely against the the big scorelines. Um, I think sometimes the games need it. I think sometimes these federations need to see, be shown the gaps between them and federations who are properly investing in their teams. Um, I've never come away from one of those matches, post-matches, where the opposition manager has said has not said that they've learned. They've always learned. They've always said these are the games we learn so much from. Um, and look, it's obviously it's never nice to lose by a big scoreline, but you learn loads. You you show your FA where the gaps are. You you know, oftentimes when we go and see these teams play away, they put them in the big stadiums because England are coming to town and otherwise they'll be on a training pitch somewhere. Um, so for me, I want to see it in action. Um, I want to see if this, the, the teams lower down the rankings benefit because my worry is that they're just going to play other teams of a similar ranking and I worry that they're not necessarily then going to grow or, or see the areas of learning that they need um, or be able to evidence to their federation that they need more investment if they're just beating fellow ranked 30 teams or whatever it might be. Um, so I'd like to see it in action. I'd like to see what matchups end up happening. You know, if they're still in Group C and they manage to play, you know, someone in Group A twice, great. That's kind of what you get from qualification. Um, but yeah, I, I've always found and I'll probably get told off for this. I've always found that attitude a little bit elitist where, oh, we're beating these minnow teams. These games shouldn't happen. They should have to play extra qualifiers or whatever. For me, I think there are ben- Until those teams tell us we don't want to play these games anymore, then maybe we should pipe down a bit. So 
I, I'll, I'll reserve my judgment until I see. The, Ooh, that see sounds like a sitting on the fence type of answer, that, Rach. We I love those. I would agree with you. Of course um, you would. That's not biased at all, so go on. No, no. I mean, <laughs> we actually had a debate over this <laughs> the other day. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because I, I do actually like the fact that the League C, the top two in League C groups will play the bottom two in League A groups for the playoffs. Um, I think that gives them a real opportunity to, you know, play against a higher level opposition because it is done on coefficient um, roughly by that point. Um, so I think that gives them the good experience. I think the fact that you can be promoted and relegated also gives them a chance. But I am also of the view that, you know, we sat down with the, the head of the women's uh, football at the North Macedonian FA. And she was like, these games are what, where I can go to my boss and should say, you know, this is what England are doing. Um, kind of, we need to up our, up our game here. And, you know, they got a new women's football strategy this year in North Macedonia because, you know, they're striving for better and striving to progress the game over there. Yes, it, they're, you know, years behind what England are doing, but they've been able to see that in the flesh and see, as Rachel said, where the gaps are. Um, it's so important that we don't just sort of try and siphon people off or countries off just because they're smaller or they don't put the same amount of investment in. You know, some of them are trying really, really hard um, and they have to be shown and get that experience against the top level teams and make the headlines for that reason. Well, I think uh, watch this space, basically. We don't know how it's all going to unfold until it actually unfold um in like 2025 or something in 2025 <laughs> it's a while and, away uh i mean on the basis that we continue this podcast for the next three years uh we will be able to when tell you content. yeah we will let you know <laughs> stay tuned for three years and hopefully we'll have figured it all out by then by the time we get to the end of it or 2024 or whatever we'll have no problem understanding it mm. i've got it down I thank you, you do, yeah. but the rest of us have to catch up so if you're the only person in the uk who fully understands this system <laughs> the so expert now stay with us um <laughs> I mean, talking of international uh, fixtures, uh, we've obviously got England versus Japan this Friday night in Spain. Uh, United, my Letizier, uh, our little sort of rising star. Uh, and Brighton's Katie Robinson have received their first call-up, so congratulations to them. Uh, Jess Park is also included as a replacement for uh, the ill Fran Kirby. Uh, she was an unused sub in the last round of games. Um, also, Jordan Nobbs and Lauren Hemp withdrawn due to injury, so... Um, not the a bit of a different England squad uh, coming up for this uh, this set of international fixtures, but a great chance for for some players now to to step in and sort of make a name for themselves on the international stage. Uh, Everton's Gabby George has also uh, been called up as well. Uh, Serena Regman impressed with the under 23s form. Uh, she said we have about eight months to prepare for the World Cup, and we want to see where these young players are at now. So. Yeah, it's an excited time for these little youngsters, these little minnows, these little lionessy minnows, <laughs> uh, little lioness little cubs. cubs. Yeah, yeah, so exciting. <laughs> I think it's it's so good that we have this opportunity to give them an op the chances now. They might not make it to Australia. Like in all honesty, we've got quite a good squad, really strong when they're all fit and firing. The lionesses squad, you won't you won't see that many positions up for grabs. I don't think if they they're all on on the same level as what they were during the summer. But, you know, with all of these back-to-back -back tournaments, it comes around so quick and they're getting a look in now. If they really catch the eye, then they have every chance of going to Australia. But then if they don't, they're, they've been in the environment where certainly next September, other um, older ones will probably drop out a bit. And we need to start that regeneration and starting it as early as possible in these windows where you've got competitive games because, you know, Japan, Norway, they're good opposition. Um, but they don't matter uh, in the longer, the bigger sense of the word. Um, it's the best opportunity for them to get that experience of what it's like to be at camp, to be away with England, senior team, what Syrian expects from you when you're training, all of that stuff, so that when you come to September next year, um, you have that chance to make, you know, we've got a next, another tournament, hopefully in the next summer. Um, you, you know, it's, it's just back-to-back -back football. Um, so you need to stake your claim and you need those opportunities and it's, it's, it's really good for them. You also have to factor in like, God forbid there's an injury, you know, and you don't want to be calling someone up who's not really, doesn't really know how the system works or what training's like or what Wiegmann's like. And you're calling them up like a month or two before a world cup. Like you want them to at least be able to find their footing fairly quickly and it, it's not a lot of time between major tournaments and you might not often see 
youngsters being called up with only eight months to a major tournament but we don't have that luxury now we don't have like a year of qualifying and I think it's great that Wiegmann's not afraid to to use these windows to to try out new young players as you say like we don't have the time otherwise to to bed them in so yeah it's exciting exciting times and I think England aren't the only ones doing it I think I mean obviously Spain don't have a choice Jorge Vilda um but there are other team other national teams doing it as well we touched on the Netherlands um and it's you know, it's really interesting to see how managers are managing these back-to-back tournaments and how they're figuring out bringing in new players in such short short spaces of time. Um, so yeah, it just makes it all the more exciting. Well, let's wait and see then how the England Lioness Cubs, or if they find their raw in the next couple oh. of games. Did you like that? That's that cute. That's so cute. That's quite sweet, wasn't it? Um, all right, I mean, carried on with the international theme of this, uh, this back end of the pod. Um, guys... Where are you off to? Where are you going? Heard you, heard you got a big old holiday lined up and uh, weirdly didn't get the invite. I don't know where that is. Um, yeah, I've got my passport though. So just let me know. Have you got your resta? Because we are flying to LA this afternoon. Um, our nephew, our very first little nephew was born uh, last week. So we're flying over to see him and to see Sophie's sister. But we're not missing the whole international window because obviously Sophie couldn't accept that. So we oh, are only over domestic there for f- incoming. five days and then we land in Heathrow and then we just stay in Heathrow because we're flying to Madrid to catch England-Norway. So we will miss England-Japan, but we won't miss England-Norway because we're doing a bonkers return trip. You can see who she blames for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very glad to hear that it's not an actual holiday. You will still be working thoroughly throughout the entire time and have absolutely no time to yourself or your family. <laughs> That's always good and heartwarming to hear. Um, I am actually, it's the international break. So I've got a weekend yep. off. So I might actually catch up with, you know, living my life at some point. Sleep. And sleeping, eating, uh, the basics. Uh, just like CrossFit as well. So. Oh, Christ. That's um that's escalated. Didn't think that would that. Next would, um, time I see you in the studio, you're going to be like this massive hench. That's like, the plan coming in. to come in absolutely <laughs> ripped. Um, I'm yet to see we'll have an arm the results, um, but but it is early days. So let's wait and see what the what the January 2023 uh, body transfer window brings for myself. Yeah, <laughs> body transfer. That makes it sound like your whole body's just like I'll have that one. I don't want this one anymore. I'll just, I'll just have try a to make fully a complete pun. CrossFit body. <laughs> Right, well, I think on that weird little note, it's definitely time for us to wrap up. Uh, thanks for listening to Upfront. If you've got any questions for us, hit us up on Twitter. I am at Morgie underscore 89 or Rachel and Soph are at Girls on the Ball. We will see you next week. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 